turn the corner now and, and start talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what we're going to do. Whatever you got to do to prepare your mind, you have two seconds. Okay. All right. Um, so a little bit different now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and we've reached the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Who's, who's been here since the start? Like, I haven't, so some of you have <laughs> Not many. That's, I don't know. We've got to talk about that. Uh, it's been like two years that, that some of you have been in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've reached the conclusion. we got three more passages that we're going to, to look at. And in these three passages, Jesus is going to give us a warning. He warns us of the danger of hearing his teachings and not acting on them. He tells us that if we hear his words and ignore them or dismiss them or, or we don't think that they have any real bearing on our lives, then it will lead to, in his words, death and destruction. This is heavy stuff that Jesus is going to get, get into in the final uh, words of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a really, really difficult way to kind of land the plane Yet, of course, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Jesus. So he makes it clear to his audience that they must take this seriously. Okay, this isn't like the message that you heard last week at synagogue that you forgot before you left the building. Okay, they have to take his words seriously. The, the response to Jesus' teachings must be nothing short of radical life transformation. Now, it's hard for us to hear these words in our modern Christian, American Christian context, and not think of the fire and brimstone, turn or burn preacher on the street corner. Okay, as we read this passage, that might be an image that comes to mind. But let me be clear before we read the passage and before we look at the other warnings that Jesus gives in the coming weeks, that that is not the message that Jesus is communicating. It's not at all the message that Jesus is communicating. We have to get that picture out of our minds and allow Jesus' words to speak for themselves. There's no question that Jesus, what he says here is difficult. There's no question that it, it uh, elicits and, and necessitates a response. But we have to remember as we go through these warnings, who is speaking these warnings? Okay, these warnings don't come from some uncaring deity who's just looking for ways to punish you. They come for your, from your creator who intimately understands you, who deeply loves you, and who has proven that he would do anything to be in relationship with you. These warnings are spoken out of a deep desire to ex for you to experience the fullness of life in the kingdom. Okay, so that's where Jesus is coming from here. So let me read the passage, and then we're going to want to break it down a little bit. So if you could put that up, Cobran. Just two short verses. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So before we dive into this passage, I want to show you a picture. If you could put that up, Coburn. Does anyone know who this person is? Shout it out if you know. Lost in Alaska guy, yeah. yeah. Christopher, yeah, Christopher McCandless, also known as Alexander Supertramp, right? 
And you, you recognize the picture though, right? It's not Emil Hirsch, it's not him. Um, Chris McCandless was a very intelligent, very complex young man who upon graduating from Emory University in Georgia, gave away all his money, all his possessions, left behind all his family and friends, and traveled as a nomad across North America. After two years of traveling around, he hitchhikes up to Alaska and enters into the wilderness alone. He survives for about 100 days in this abandoned bus before dying of starvation in August of 1992. The details of his journey are recorded in the biographical book written by John Krakauer, one of my favorite authors, called, anyone know? Into the Wild, right? You may have seen the movie. It was first a book. It was first an article that was made into a book. John Krakauer, by the way, fascinating stuff if you want to look him up. But the reason John Krakauer was able to tell the, the details of Chris's journey was because he would connect with all sorts of people wherever he went. Everyone seemed to love this guy and feel a deep connection to him. Yet Chris would always run away whenever he felt like people were getting too close. So after he rids himself of what he calls the prison of civilization, and that includes every relationship he made along the way, Chris eventually dies alone in the Alaskan wilderness. In his final days, he writes these words in the margins of a book. Happiness is only real when shared. You remember that scene from the movie? And all the people he'd met throughout the movie flash across the screen. Happiness is only real when shared. His biographer, John Krakauer, writes, this is evidence that his long and lonely sabbatical had changed him in some significant way that he was ready to shed a little of the armor he wore around his heart, that upon returning to civilization, he intended to abandon the life of a solitary vagabond, stop running so hard from intimacy, and become a member of the human community. Despite our desire to romanticize this, this free-spirited adventurer, we have to acknowledge that Chris McCandless fled society left behind every relationship he'd ever made because it was hard, because he was scared, because he thought that it would be easier to just be alone and isolated. It wasn't until he went down that easier path of isolation that he realized where it led. Unfortunately, he was already on his deathbed when he realized that community and intimacy, the things that he had been running from his whole life, regardless of how hard they are, might actually be worth it. That happiness is only real when shared with others. It's a really tragic way to go out. No wonder my mom hated that movie so much. So let's put those verses back up on the screen. In these two verses that we read today, Jesus gives us a choice. He says that we can choose between two ways of living, what he calls the wide and the easy way or the narrow and the hard way. Jesus says that many people will choose the wide and easy way, but he warns us that that way leads to destruction. Instead, his followers should choose the narrow and hard way because that leads to life. 
These are the two choices he puts before us. So the question that Jesus presents to us today is which way are you going to choose? He does not allow us to sidestep this question. Everyone in his audience as he's preaching this sermon must answer this question. Which way are you going to choose? Are you going to hear the words of the Sermon on the Mount and orient your life around the kingdom? Or are you going to do what's easy? We have to choose. So let's take a closer look at this picture that Jesus is painting for us. In in Jesus's day, every city was surrounded by a wall. Okay, it wasn't a city if there wasn't a wall. So every city had a wall, and there'd be one main gate that you used to enter or leave the city. This would typically be a very large gate, and it would connect to a main highway or roadway that left the city. Okay, so it was a a big, wide gate and an easy, wide road. Okay, most people would enter or exit the city through this main, wide gate. But the main gate would have not been the only gate in the city. Every city would often have or always have these small back entrances. These were less frequently used and would often connect to less traveled back roads. People generally avoided these narrow gates and back roads for good reason, not because they were only or not only because they were less maintained and more difficult to travel on, but because you'd be more prone to attacks from thieves or wild animals on these less traveled roads. So we have what we have here, and I'm just going to draw this up on this board. What we have here is we have a wide gate, an easy road that many people take. In contrast, Jesus says there's a narrow gate that leads to a hard way or a hard road and few people go this way. And what's shocking about this picture that Jesus paints is that the first way is, is, is the destination of the ways. The first way, though it is easier, ultimately leads to destruction. And the second way, though, is hard and risky, Jesus says, leads to life. Okay, so these are the contrasting choices that Jesus puts before us. So what what is Jesus getting at with this? Well, Jesus uses an important word in this passage that keys us into what he is saying. Okay, it's the Greek word hodos, okay, and that is translated here as way. Okay, it's a, it's a word that, that can refer to both a road or a path that you travel on, but it's also frequently used throughout scripture, I think even more often than an actual road. It's used to refer to a way of living. Okay, this isn't a stretch for us. We talk about the, the journey of our lives or the path we take or, or anything like that. That's the image that Jesus is painting here. So he's giving us this, this option between these two ways. So let me just show you how this shows up a few times in scripture, if you could put that up. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 33, God says to his people, you shall walk entirely in the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and that it may be well for you, that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Exodus 33, verse 13, Moses says to God, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me know your ways so that I may know you. In Psalm 67, 
We read, God may be, or may God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. May your way be known on all the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Jesus calls himself the way, right? In John uh, chapter 14, verse 6, he says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus believes himself to be the gate, the road, the path to life with the Father. So what exactly is this way of life that Jesus is inviting us into? Okay, we know it's a way of living. We know, we know that it has to do with following after Jesus' example, but what is it? Well, if we back up over the last three chapters that we've been in for the last two years, okay, the Sermon on the Mount, we will see that this way of life is precisely what he has just laid out for us in the sermon. The Sermon on the Mount is, among other things, a whole new way of living, a radical new way of living. It is a way of living in the kingdom of God here on earth. When Jesus talks about choosing a way, it's important to say what he's not talking about. What he's not talking about is adopting a certain set of doctrinal beliefs that will stamp your ticket into heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying when he's talking about the ways. He is not talking about choosing eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That's not the choice that's before us right here as Jesus talks about this. It's just not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Jesus is talking about, instead, what he's talking about is a manner of living in this life that both displays the kingdom and spreads the kingdom. He's talking about a way of living that declares that the God of the universe has come to earth and he is taking back the world he made. He's talking about a way of living that declares that as he has already made his home in me, he will one day make the whole earth his home. It's a way of living that declares those things. But as Jesus demonstrates in his own life, this way of living is difficult. It's difficult. While simultaneously living in two kingdoms, this way of living is very very difficult. It's difficult to live in Jesus's kingdom while living in a world that has rejected that kingdom. It's difficult to live in Jesus's kingdom while we ourselves have rejected that kingdom and do so often. Yet that is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't call us to retreat from the world and build our own little cloistered utopia where we never have to face anything that challenges our way of thinking or challenges our way of life. He, precisely, he calls us precisely to the opposite. He calls us to live within the kingdom, right in the midst of the kingdom of the world. But it's that conflict that makes living this way so hard. But just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. Right? Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not what's, be- what's best. Excuse me. In life, good things are rarely easy, and easy things are rarely good. And it's the hard things that are often the best things. I think we all, if you've lived any amount of time, you know that to be true. And like Chris McCandless, what we think is easy, what we think is better for us, we find out will eventually destroy us. It's easier to isolate yourself and push people away 
rather than work hard at intimacy and authentic community. But as Chris discovered, isolation will destroy you. And happiness, any happiness you experience, will only be an empty counterfeit to what could be experienced when shared with others. Hey, that was Chris's story. But Jesus gives all sorts of examples of this on the Sermon on the Mount. We could just go through. It's easier to be filled with anger and resentment rather than do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. But anger and resentment will eat you alive and destroy any relationship that you have in your life. It's easier to be greedy and stingy with what you have rather than grateful and generous with your blessings. But you will never experience the fullness of what God has for you if you live a life of greed and stinginess. It's easier to gossip and put others down rather than seek to find the image of God in every person around you, but you will miss out on the amazing work that God is doing in the lives of others. It's easier to judge and assume the worst about people's hearts and motives rather than seek to understand and love, but you will always mistrust and hold back from those around you. It's easier to numb yourself with mindless activities and entertainment rather than devote yourself to practices and rhythms as Jesus lays out for us that will draw us nearer to God. It's easier to do that, but it will leave you feeling distant and directionless. It's easier to look after yourself, your own rights, your own desires, rather than laying down yourself, laying down your rights, for the good of others. It's easier to have your own private, personal Christianity that doesn't actually affect your life, much less the lives of those around you, rather than pursue the life of mentorship to Jesus, devoting every part of your life to the mission of God, but you will miss out on the kingdom work that God wants to do through you. If we are not intentional about choosing the narrow way now, There will be a point in our lives when we wish we had. There will be a point in our lives when we see the days and the years we've wasted, when we see the relationships we've destroyed, when we see the opportunities to join Jesus in his work that we've squandered. And like Chris McCandless, we are going to wish that we had chosen the harder path. And let me be clear, the goal of Jesus' goal here is not regret. He doesn't want us to feel regret. But he does warn us that if we continually choose the wide and easy way, there will be a point when we realize what we've missed out on. And he doesn't want us to forget that. There will be a point when we see the destruction that we've caused and the life we could have lived. But the good news is Jesus doesn't seem to care how long you've been on the easy path. He doesn't seem to care how often you've walked through the wide gates. He doesn't care how many times you've chosen the easy way, regardless of which way you've been walking on. He invites you today to choose the harder path, the harder way, and to continue to choose the harder way every day so that you can experience the fullness of the life he has for you. The hard way is the better way. The way of mentorship to Jesus is worth it, but we have to choose it. You will not drift into it. So which way are you going to choose? Okay, that's what Jesus asks us today. So as we enter into worship, Brian and Megan can come on up here. I want you to take a note card from your table 
And uh, this is what I, I just challenge you to do. I want you to ask Jesus to reveal to you a way in which you've been choosing the wide road. Okay, get specific for you. What? Maybe it, you've been holding on to anger. Maybe you've been holding on to resentment or greed or judgment or isolation, whatever it might be. Write that down on the card. Then next to it, I want you to write how you can practically choose the narrow way. Okay, this side of things. Maybe you need to forgive. Maybe you need to practice generosity or gratitude. Maybe you need to open yourself up and get vulnerable with those around you. So how is Jesus inviting you to choose the narrow way? Brian and Megan are going to start leading us. And as you're ready, you can stand and join them in worship.